Amen. Good morning and hello, neighbors. It is good to be with you today, whether you are on site or whether you're worshiping with us online. Now, in this sermon series, Neighborly, we are drawing inspiration from Jesus and even from Mr. Rogers. We are focusing on very important biblical themes. Thus far, we have discussed patience and love, and those remaining include kindness, forgiveness, and acceptance. So you are invited to follow along as we dig into God's word today. The page number for our Pew Bibles is listed on the screen, and you are always welcome to bring your own personal Bibles. Don't forget to do that next week. And or you may use a Bible app on your mobile devices. Would you please join me in prayer? Almighty God, open our ears that we may hear your word. Open our eyes that we may see your glory in our midst. Open our hearts that we might know your spirit's presence with us in these moments. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So I want to ask you a question. Where in your life did you learn about becoming more neighborly? That is our focus today. Last week, our focus passage reminds us of the greatest and the most important commandment. Love God, love neighbor. Now, the religious leader in last week's passage was merely gaining some perspective in his interaction with Jesus and found himself not far from the kingdom of God. This weekend, we celebrate World Communion. We can dig deeper into this subject and ask the question, who is my neighbor? By looking at helpers with Jesus and Mr. Rogers in our neighborhoods and reflecting on kindness. Now, growing up, I remember two distinctive neighborhoods. The first was on 778 3rd Street in Syracuse, Nebraska. We lived in this beautiful old green two-story uh, house that was on a corner lot in the south part of town. To the west was Elmer, a widower who had the most amazing garden, and he would readily share his produce with those starving Price children. <laughs> and to the west of Elmer was Henry and Pauline, a couple who welcomed us into their growing clan of grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And catty corner to the southeast was Rose and Gary Gary. Now, of course, we knew the rest of our neighbors too, and some of them were real characters. But I loved August on hot days like today. When the fair was right around the corner, we had gatherings in our neighborhoods with homemade ice cream and country thyme lemonade. And at dusk, we would chase those lightning bugs around the yard and we'd listen to the sound of locusts in the trees. Neighborhood number one is where I learned boundaries, like never cross the street without permission, always look twice. And I learned that neighbors look out for one another and are always there with helping hands or a cup of sugar. And the second neighborhood that I grew up in was on television, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It came on to occupy our time, and we would meet some of Mr. Rogers' neighbors. We would learn important life lessons. Then we would go to the land of make-believe with puppets, and we would meet King Friday. He was kind of scary. Daniel Tiger, and even X the Owl. And it certainly didn't help that Mr. Rogers looked a lot like and talked a lot like one of my favorite pastors, Reverend Bob Miller. 
Neighborhood number two is where I learned about using my imagination and believing that anything was possible. Fred Rogers learned about being a neighbor from the time he was five years old in Pennsylvania. He said Mama Bell was about his grandmother's age, and he would go to her back porch steps looking for a snack. When she saw him coming, she would say, Did you come for some toast sticks, Freddie? And then one day before she got sick and died, she taught him how to make them for himself. He had to take a piece of bread. He had to put it in the toaster. He had to toast it. And then he was supposed to spread some butter on it, get some yummy jam to put on top. And then, this is the important part, cut it into four toast sticks. (laughs) He said that this snack always reminded him of Mama Belle and her comfort food. Now, according to Mr. Rogers, everyone is a neighbor. That was the premise and the central theme in the children's show. At the heart of Fred's theology was loving your neighbor and the fact that everyone is made in the image of God and every person is valued and appreciated, as he liked to say. Through Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Fred echoed the words of Jesus in our focus passage. So gospel writer Luke reminds us that there was this one occasion when an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now first, let's acknowledge that that is a great question. We know that that Jesus was ministering to God's people for a very brief period of time. So for the religious leaders of the day to be wrestling with these most important commandments and even going to Jesus himself, this was huge. Of course, we learn from the passage, though, that his motives weren't exactly pure, were they? He intended to test Jesus. Maybe the religious leaders wanted Jesus to say that it was all about him. To inherit eternal life, they needed to get with the Jesus Everlasting Life program, right? Hmm. But it was Jesus' style to respond to a question with another question. So he asked, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, of course, the expert in the law answered the question about the law perfectly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, do this and you will live. Jesus really wanted this man to claim the letter of the law and how the spirit of the law and how both of those connected. Love God, love neighbor, the end. But the expert just couldn't leave it there. He wanted to justify himself. And so he asked, and who is my neighbor? This is another pivotal passage in the Gospels and even in the New Testament. So Jesus then proceeds to tell a parable about a man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now those original hearers of this story might have begun to fill in the blanks immediately. This was a difficult journey for anyone. It was known to be rocky and with hills and valleys and many twists and turns. It was a place where people might get hurt. Not the point of the story. The man was attacked. He was stripped. He was beaten and left for dead along the path. Again, this was a difficult journey for anyone. This really was a place where people might get hurt. Not the point of the story. 
The story continues that there were three people who passed by. We know this, right? Many of us learned this story when we were little. Three people walk by, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan, and there's no punchline at the end. The first two were temple officials, religious men. Now, not knowing for sure the man's condition meant that if they touched him, they would be unclean. They would be unable to perform their temple duties and other religious duties. He might have been dead already, so there was nothing that they could do to help him. They made the decision to maintain their purity at the cost of obedience to God's law of love. Now for a Jewish teacher of the law to hear this story, he was probably squirming already. So as Jesus continued telling his story, he describes how it was the Samaritan who stopped by to help the wounded man. Of course, we remember that Jews and Samaritans didn't really appreciate one another. Jews were the direct descendants of Abraham. Samaritans were considered half-breeds. But before we get too tied up in that fact, let's remember that Jesus was very intentional about breaking up these stereotypes about people. And now we're getting closer to the point of the story. The wounded man would have expected the religious men to act in kind, compassionate, and merciful ways. But not the Samaritan. And he wouldn't have expected that Samaritan to go above and beyond and care for him. In fact, being a neighbor to this wounded Jewish man cost him time and energy, resources. And yet he still did the neighborly thing. That was Jesus' point, wasn't it? Scholar N.T. Wright says, Israel's God is the God of grace for the whole world. And a neighbor is anybody in need. Did you hear that? A neighbor is anybody in need. Okay, and so now the wheels start turning in our minds. Because there's dangers in our world, right? And, and we can't just pull over on the side of the road for just anyone, can we? It's not safe. We can't just help everyone. It, it, it might cause harm to ourselves or others. And yet there's always something that we can do, right? And it starts with our own answer to that question, who is my neighbor? I imagine that each of us have reflected on what it would be like to be in this story. We have imagined what it would be like to be the wounded man because we have been wounded, whether physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, or even spiritually. We have imagined what it would be like to be the teacher of the law because we occasionally have been that person who wants to test and to justify things. Our motives are not always pure when it comes in to our relationships with others. We have imagined what it would be like to be the Samaritan because we have been the outcast who chose to do the right thing, maybe even going above and beyond with our actions. And maybe, just maybe, we have imagined what it would be like to be that innkeeper who had no idea what he was getting himself into. And yet he acted with faith, knowing that he would be compensated and reimbursed for his actions. 
I posted a quote on my Facebook page that says, our job is to love people without stopping to question if they are worthy of our love or not. Today, we could re easily replace that word love with the word mercy from this story. Our job is to show mercy to people without stopping to question if they are worthy of our mercy or not. And yet today we're focusing on kindness, so let's try that. Our job is to show kindness to people without stopping to question if they are worthy of our kindness or not. You get my point, right? Now, honestly, Mr. Rogers demonstrated what many called radical kindness. But maybe you're wondering how this came about. Fred was scared to death to go to school when he was young because of bullying. He was shy, he was overweight, and the bullies made fun of him. But there was one neighbor in particular, a widow named Mrs. Stewart, who offered refuge for him. Now, well-meaning adults in his life told him that he should just stand firm and he should not let on that those bullies were getting to him. But Fred knew that that wasn't the answer. He said, and I quote, I resented the teasing, I resented the pain, I resented those kids for not seeing beyond my fatness or my shyness. Fred wanted someone to tell him that it was okay to feel the way he did. And he could have taken that hurt and he could have turned it inward, but he poured himself into his piano. He looked for others who were also poor in spirit. He noticed the need for kindness in the world and he chose to do something about it. Leah alluded to the fact that Fred Rogers' mother always said, look for the helpers, Fred. You will always find people who are helping. Because Fred believed and emphasized that we can always find a reason to help. We can always find something that we can do to help. Now, one of Mr. Rogers' favorite things was to get adults to reflect on those helpers. Those who had helped them in their lives. He would invite them to reflect on that person for about 10 seconds. It would bring a smile to their lips and sometimes even tears to their eyes. So let's do that right now. I want you to think about someone who has helped you in your journey, someone who has been neighborly to you. got that person's name and face? Yeah. Good. Yes. We can certainly find helpers when natural disasters occur, yet we can find helpers in our daily lives too. We can give thanks for those who have helped and showed kindness in important ways. Sometimes being neighborly and, and like the Good Samaritan may stretch us beyond our comfort zones, yet sharing a little compassion and mercy and kindness can make a world of difference. Jen Robinson posted on her Facebook page this weekend, kindness and locks doors that were thought to be closed forever. I love this. And I want you to remember this when we talk about forgiveness next week, okay? On this World Communion Sunday, 
And as we think about our neighbors, brothers and sisters around the world, and even around our own neighborhood, coming to the table of God's grace, I want to reflect on a few questions with you. What if we could truly be neighborly and claim that radical kindness that Jesus and Mr. Rogers demonstrated? What if each of us committed to doing at least one act of kindness each day? How might our neighborhood around Faith Westwood reflect more of God's love and grace and kindness? And how might our extended neighborhoods reflect more compassion and kindness? In our focus passage today, Jesus transformed the question, who is my neighbor, into the directive, be the good neighbor. Or as this series would say, be neighborly. May we go and do likewise. Amen.